0: is all right, I got it. under wraps now and this is all night. Get us out of sight, uptight. one of my questions, stay straight, fall down, right light, uptown.
1: Asking questions the fall down, fall down, fall down, fall down. Do you
0: Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host Mary Brown. Have you ever made a mistake at work? Me too. All of us make mistakes. How have your mistakes been handled? How should mistakes be addressed in a healthy and flourishing work environment? Today on Conflict Managed, we talk with Gary Carter about the role of managers when things go wrong, the importance of respecting employee privacy, and avoiding public shaming when mistakes are made. Gary also reminds us of the wisdom of listening to those you manage taking their insights and suggestions seriously, the value of showing up to work in a coachable frame of mind, and the power of genuine enthusiasm. Welcome, Gary, to Conflict Managed. We're so happy to have you.
1: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Great. Well, I was wondering if we could begin with you telling us a little bit about your work history.
1: Sure. So, um... I originally went to Freed Hardeman University where I got a degree in public relations and I thought I was going to be an attorney. And I kind of got towards the end of my college career, decided the amount of debt that I had at the time. Law school wasn't going to be really a conducive thing. So I moved to Columbus, Ohio, where my best friend and his family lived. And I just looked for whatever would hire me, whoever would hire me. And the first place that I got a job, I was a bank teller. And I was there for about nine months, and I got headhunted, and I was a personal banker for another uh, large bank that's uh, headquartered in Columbus. Did that for a while, became an assistant branch manager, moved to Florida, was a personal banker again at a different bank, and then I was a branch manager for a period of time, a little over a year, I think, and then I became a financial planner, and. I did that for about four years in Florida, packed my family up. Uh, we had, my wife and I had our first son in the meantime, moved to Tennessee where I took a job doing, a, doing something similar, doing financial planning for a small company. It wasn't a good fit. Um, I was there for about nine months and now I am with Northwestern Mutual and I think I finally found my home. At least I hope they think that. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I enjoy it here. I think this place is a good fit.
0: That's awesome. So let's go ahead and start with one of the best work experiences that you have had, whether it's from a manager or a coworker. Um, can you tell us about that? I've been
1: really lucky to have been managed by a lot of really great people. I think one of the best experiences that I ever had was a woman who was a branch manager at a different location. And I had actually made a mistake, and, and I'll I'll kind of give you a little bit of backstory. I was a banker at the time, and a client came in to close a safety deposit box, and the way that the system was, I made a mistake. He held a box at our branch, and he held a box at a different branch that she managed, and I messed up. I I closed the box at her branch, not the one at my own branch, and she saw that on her closed account report the next day, and she called me, and she said hey, do you have the keys? Because I need the keys because you closed the box. And then I realized, oh, I have made a big mistake. And I told her. And she had every right to really, you know, chew me out. And she didn't. She said, okay, here's the problem. Here's how you're going to fix it. And um, we're just going to keep this between the two of us. And it's going to be no harm, no foul. But, you know, you know what you did wrong, and you know not to do it again. And here's where it's gonna be fixed. And I really, um, I really appreciated that because she she saw the coaching that I needed, and she gave it to me. And she said, "But you're a valuable enough employee that I don't want to tarnish your permanent record with something that was a silly mistake." I've actually brought that up to her several times. Uh, I later became her peer. I was a manager, and we were, you know, kind of on the same level. And I've told her many times that I really, really appreciated that. That's just one example. I, like I said, I've been very lucky to have a lot of really great managers.
0: That's, you know, really telling how people deal with our mistakes because we're human and we're going to make mistakes. Sure. And a lot of times when we make mistakes, we want to hide them for mm. whatever reason, are shame or we're afraid of the consequences. Did you think about blaming somebody else or not fessing up to that mistake? <laughs> you
1: no, know, I think under normal circumstances at that point in my life, I would have. it's just the the fact of the matter is what I did was there was no hiding from it it was this this is what you have done and and this is the paper trail involved and there was no hiding it uh at at that point in my life honestly I probably would have tried to do that um it just wasn't an option (laughs) it wasn't an option
0: (laughs) well I think that's really realistic a lot of times Mm -hmm. because we don't know what's going to happen um as you said if it was if she reported it, it might've gone on your permanent record or Mm -hmm. I I don't know much about the banking industry. Um, but how we deal with mistakes. And so she was really gracious with you and she didn't take it away from you, right? You said she coached you. She told you what to do. Yeah.
1: I had to call the client. I actually had to go to the client's works workplace and bring the form that he needed to sign to get it fixed. I mean, she didn't do anything for me. She was very clear that I was going to be the one fixing it. And I did fix it. Um, She told me how, but she didn't take any of that work off of me. And I think in her wisdom, she wanted me to feel the pain and the the inconvenience of having to do it, kind of to teach me not to do it again. But, you know, I did it and it got fixed and life went on and No, no, no harm, no foul. And I don't think that my manager ever knew.
0: What would your manager have done if your manager knew? Do you think?
1: You know, um, probably the exact same thing that she did. If you want to know the truth, he is one of the people that I really credit with boosting my career. He really, I humbly say this, but I think he saw that I had potential to to kind of go farther in the industry and he wanted to, to promote me in that way but probably much the same, I think.
0: I'm really interested in mistakes because how people and organizations deal with mistakes has a lot to do with the psychological safety that we feel. And I think it's so interesting that you felt valued um, by your direct boss in that circumstance and you still felt this. I'm so glad he didn't find out. I'm glad it was somebody else, even though it sounds like you have one of the best work circumstances. And I think that is... So informative to the rest of us that even if you are a good boss, you have to go out of your way to make sure your employees know that when they mess up, because they will, we will deal with it. It's mm-hmm. one thing to know it in the abstract, it's another thing when we actually mess up. Uh so you know, this you know, a lot of us want to hide, we are afraid of the consequences. And so uh, even the good manager. Um, needs to make it crystal clear they're on our side, and they want good things for us, and they will help us when we mess up.
1: I completely agree, and he yeah. um, he even did that a few times. He that was at a point in my career where I was more prone to mistakes maybe than I should have been, but you know he he was very understanding and very he was clear. This is how you're going to fix it, and you're going to fix it, but. Um, it needs to get fixed. You don't need to do that again. This is your coaching, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Have you had the opposite experience with a manager?
1: I have. um, So I think that the, the worst individual experience, and this, this is a person that I'm talking about that's, she's a good person. Um, I don't think that she should have been in a managerial role. She, I think that all Effort should be made to keep mistakes private, unless there is absolutely not the option to do that. Um, and I also think that unless it would be egregious not to, a manager should take up for an employee in front of a of an high rate customer, unless doing so unless doing so would be a compliance issue or something like that. I really do think that if there's any area for judgment management should be on the side of their employees and i i've i've had a couple of managers that weren't really great with that <laughs> but um you know just different different management styles i suppose
0: yeah i mean this is one thing that we really want and it it's an art right the good manager mm-hmm. is able to be for us which is the employee and the institution cuz the healthier the institution the better it is for employees but of course the better the health the health of the employees Mm-hmm. Has to do with the health of the institution. And I think the manager is able to keep both goods in sight. And I don't think the manager should ever be us versus them. It shouldn't be the employees versus the organization or the organization versus the employees. That anytime you've come into that default, something has gone wrong. Yeah, I think even during embezzlement or somebody, you know, somebody doing something illegal, uh, we should treat all people well, all people with dignity and respect, with the values of our organization. And realize that sometimes people really make bad mistakes and egregious mistakes, and they need to leave our organization and sometimes go to prison um, <laughs> but you know uh I think in a way that's a part of a part of respecting their autonomy and the decisions they've made, and we can still treat them well
1: I agree completely, I really do
0: you um mentioned something about mistakes keeping them private and while well, I agree with you, I think there's a problem sometimes with keeping things private in that the system that allowed it to happen a lot of times then doesn't get examined. And maybe there's a way to have both where we keep the, the mistake the individual did private, but we're still able to talk in general to whoever needs to know, like, this mistake was made. Um, this is why we think this mistake was made, how can we make sure it doesn't happen again? What system needs to be changed? What do you think about that?
1: I would agree with that uh, 100%. I'll give you an example. Um, When I was a bank teller, I was much better at conversing with clients and making them happy to be there than I was at at, balancing my teller drawer, for example. (laughs) And um, there were a couple of times I'm embarrassed to say, that, you know, my teller drawer was off by a significant amount, more than a couple of hundred dollars, which, you know, if you're, if you're in the banking industry, if you've ever been in the banking industry, one or two isolated incidents over a large period of time is really not the end of the world. But if it becomes a habit that you're more than a few bucks off every once in a while, that, that is a problem. It would have probably been okay if certain times that that had happened I could have been coached without it being public knowledge. You know, Gary cannot balance his teller door. That's not everybody's business. That's just one example. But, you know, in banking and finance, you know, I'm in finance now. We have to keep paperwork completely squared away. And if you make a mistake in paperwork, sometimes an example does need to be made of it. But I do think that unless there's a very strong reason otherwise, the actual employee that made the mistake, their privacy should be respected unless there's just a, a really good reason not to, or, or if the employee agrees to be made an example of. I, I just, I'm thinking big picture, I'm not sure. But um, usually public embarrassment, I don't think is a good motivator. And I've kind of been on both ends of that. And I feel strongly about that. People's privacy and people's dignity should be kept intact always.
0: Yeah, I agree. We don't want to needlessly embarrass somebody and we never want to humiliate someone. Um, at the same time, institutional learning is important so that, you know, so a lot of times we scapegoat that individual, you know, so this person did this thing as if um, they're in complete isolation. This happens a lot in healthcare, right? So the nurse gives the fatal dosage who she was not trying to kill anybody. So how did that happen? how could that happen oh it's her fault and then we don't have to look at the circumstance around it you know if it is a a a problem and we just look at isolated incidents then the system gets off the hook right and the individual still is hooked because maybe even if they haven't been publicly shamed maybe they get passed over for promotion And then we don't have to take a look and see, oh, well, they weren't managed well. They weren't onboarded. They were, this new regulation was passed and there wasn't proper training.
1: Absolutely. And I'll say this to the end of time. I'm a person who had, you know, I was a diamond in the rough for a long time. Maybe I'm still a diamond in the rough. I've, I've been very lucky to have some excellent managers and some less than good managers who still have taught me things that have really helped me. A lot. <laughs> so I, I can see that. I can see the, the importance of effective management. So, a paramount importance.
0: From your perspective, what makes an excellent manager? I think
1: the biggest thing that a manager needs to understand, and I've been a manager, I've been an assistant manager of a bank, I've been a, a branch manager of a bank, and just to get, kind of give you some backstory on that, I managed a branch that had over, in 20, excuse me, over 20 employees. I was 24 years old at the time, which was frankly way too big a job for me. And there were some good things that I brought to the role. There are also some bad things that inexperience brought to the role. But I think that one of my strengths as a manager was understanding that there are people there that have been a lot, excuse me, been with the bank longer than I've been alive they have good perspectives. And how dare I not listen to them and take them seriously? So I think that that was actually a real strength of mine in my inexperience that all managers need to do is to listen to your subordinates, take what they say seriously. If you disagree with them, that's perfectly fine. But communicate why you think that something is not a good idea. And be very willing and ready to give praise to other people if one of their ideas has worked out. I think that's the best thing that a manager could do is just be very willing to pass praise on to other people. Because if, if, if the unit that you're managing looks good, you look good, even if it's a subordinate of yours that, that gets the praise today.
0: I think that's perfectly summed up. Like what a good manager does, right? They listen they um, communicate, they lavish praise, such excellent way to motivate your staff. And Mm -hmm. it seems so straightforward and simple. So why do you think that's lacking? I mean, it doesn't seem to happen all the time. I think
1: people just like to be right all the time. And I think that a lot of managers fall into this trap of feeling like they are in charge and because they're in charge what they say goes and they're the the grand emperor of whatever it is and and that I don't think that that's a I don't think that that's a good idea you know people when you're dealing with other adults sometimes adults that are smarter than you sometimes adults that are more effective communicators than you and would be a more effective manager frankly sometimes you have to take their opinions you have to consider every opinion valid and it, again if you if you disagree with something that's perfectly fine that's well within your rights but i think you owe it to your subordinates to listen to what they say because if you if you don't listen to what they say or if you make people feel unheard you know i you've heard this a thousand times being in your line of work but people don't quit jobs they quit managers and i think that that is so 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 true
0: We talk a lot about inclusion these days where you don't want just a diverse workforce, which we do, but we need more than that. We need inclusion. And it seems to me this listening piece where it's more than, okay, everybody tell me what you want. We know when someone's genuine, right? We know when someone's really listening. And of course, listening doesn't mean that they do what, what we want them to do. It's, it's much deeper and broader and longer. It's a, this relationship, right?
1: So you mentioned that
0: you've, you mentioned you've had some, um, you've learned from some bad managers. What are some lessons you've learned from bad managers?
1: Well, it kind of goes back to what we've said. Um, listen to people when they think that they have a good idea. That's very important. Give people proper training. Um, I have seen more raw talent and employees go wasted because proper training wasn't given or proper feedback wasn't given or when a mistake was made improper disciplinary action was given. And I think that that is really just a travesty because you hire somebody who's got a lot of raw talent, who's a good hire, who would be a great fit for the organization, but because a mistake is made or because they didn't know a policy and they've, they've done so, even something that's wrong, even something that needs serious coaching, that can all be done in a way that improves things for everybody and and if if somebody needs to be coached out of an organization well that that can be done with dignity too you know you know that doesn't mean anybody's a bad person you know and and i think that you know i i mean i have good relationships with people today friendships with people today i'm thinking about one person in particular actually a good friend of mine who when we were co-workers She was over me and we did not have a good relationship (laughs) when she was my boss. And now um, now that we've both matured a little bit, mostly me, um, we can be friends. But communication is paramount. I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but but appropriate communication and appropriate coaching and treating people with dignity and respect because you're dealing with adults, you know, and adults have egos and you got to be careful with that. Um, I don't think anything's more important than
0: that. I think that you're absolutely right. This idea of training, feedback, dealing with mistakes, and you think about the onboarding process. You know, mm-hmm. Um so I taught philosophy for over 20 years, and every semester I had to think, okay, I've been doing this not only teaching, but then if I think about preparing to teach and how many years of higher education, I've been doing philosophy for 30 years. And this person is 18 years old, and they, don't know, <laughs> you know, they don't know who Socrates is. And right. I'm going to talk about metaphysics, and their eyes are going to go in the back of their head because they, you know, don't know what I'm talking about, and they're not interested. And so, if I talk to them the way I think, because what to me is completely normal, is not normal to them. It doesn't mean that they're not smarter than me; that they don't have, at 18, have interesting ideas and world experiences. But if I don't think about where they're at and what they know, given their, whoever they are, um, it's not gonna go well for either of us. And I think a lot of jobs, you're right, lack this really thinking about what does it feel like to come into an organization? Why there is not more rampant mentoring is beyond me. Why doesn't everybody have a buddy or two, you know? Uh, Buddies from different rungs in the organization to show them the different ropes and actively mentor for months
1: and i know at least in finance the onboarding process to from putting out an ad to installing somebody on their first day that whole process is so expensive <laughs> you know you'd think that there would be a lot more effort put in to coaching somebody and keeping somebody than there is i i don't know why there's not frankly i really don't
0: you're so right it costs so much to search and the the search committee and then the hire and then we put them in and they do have the skills to do the job, but maybe they don't know the ins and outs of this specific job. And if that extra time was put into them and invested in their first, you know, the first month, their first months, their first year, the retention and therefore uh, the return on investment and the happiness of the person and their word of mouth, on and on and on, customer service would just go up. It seems like a, a simple fix, but I guess maybe we hire somebody, we think, oh, our job is done. We've now got someone competent and they can take over um, sometimes, but there are different learning curves. Absolutely. Um, So what advice would you give somebody who is starting off in their career?
1: Be coachable, listen, be willing to try your best. Um, Also, I would say have a really good head on your shoulders about when you think you're being taken advantage of and don't necessarily speak up the first time you feel that way, but kind of keep mental notes on these things and find other people in your role to, I don't know about emulate, but kind of watch the way that they work, befriend them and just see what it takes to be successful in your role. And hmm, that's a really good question, Mary. Uh, just just really try your best to be to be coachable and and try just try your best just generally, because a lot of times if you're looking for a promotion or that next step or or whatever, enthusiasm goes a really long way. A really long way. I think that that is what helped me kind of get through the early stages of my career as quickly as I did is just I showed up and I I looked like I was in a good mood. It really was that simple. <laughs> I promise paperwork is still not my strong suit. <laughs> you know, the actual doing the job for for a lot of things and and luckily I'm in a I'm in a role now where most of the work is just talking to people. Um because that's all that I'm, that, I don't That want to say that's all that I'm good at, but that's probably my biggest strength is just talking to people. Um, just enthusiasm covers a multitude of sins. It really does. Just try your best and be coachable. Those are the two things, I think.
0: It sounds like you're also talking about being curious, right? So mm-hmm. it, insofar as you get into a place and you start looking around and you, um, you look for maybe the mentors or the people to emulate. And you think okay well what are they doing right and maybe the people who are in hot water what are they doing wrong Mm. Um, and as you said when you went to that job in uh, when you moved back to Tennessee that was a a, wasn't a good fit I'm sure you were being curious right you came into the environment do you mind telling us what was it about that job that
1: yeah well so when I lived in Florida I was with a an investment company that did almost no insurance whatsoever and when I moved up here I went to a role where unbeknownst to me I was expected to sell a significant amount of life insurance specifically that's never been my favorite thing to do I do it with bells on and a smile on my face today but when I came over the assumption was that I was fully trained I was fully trained at my previous company (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't trained at, at the company that I was with. And I didn't really, it was a much smaller company, I didn't really have any role models. And it it wasn't, it wasn't the fit that we all thought that it was going to be. And I'll tell you, when I exited, there was a lot of hurt feelings kind of on both sides, because I think that there was a perception that I had misrepresented myself as being better at my job than I was. And I, from my perspective, I never did that. You know, this is what I have done, these are my performance statistics, and they hired me on, on that basis. But the job that I was hired for was different from what I had ever done before, and I was not in a place where I was appropriately trained. Um, coming to Northwestern Mutual, where I am now, you know, selling insurance is a big part of what I do. I do it with a smile on my face. It's never going to be my favorite thing. My first love is always going to be investments and group insurance. And for those of you not in the industry, group insurance and individual insurance, it might as well be different things. They're, they're totally different and there's very little similar. But my first love is always going to be investments in group insurance. But I had, there there were the systems in place here to train me how to be competent in that new part of my job. And I'm good at it. And I do enjoy it. i I I worry that I'm making the representation that I don't enjoy it. I do. It's just the thing I enjoy least, but I do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's vanilla ice cream instead of chocolate. You know, it's, it's just appropriate training is so important. And being upfront about what a role is, is important too. I guess I should say that.
0: Yeah. Uh, people are going to thrive from the get-go if they know what it is they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then if there are resources for them once they realize, oh, I don't know how to do this. So the psychological safety to say, okay, I need help in this. Is this something that you're offering? How do I um, get up to speed so that I can deliver? Because I want to do well. And you obviously want me to do well, right? It is a win-win when people can speak up. But you can only speak up if you know what it is that you're supposed to be doing in the first place.
1: Or if you think somebody's listening, that's so (laughs) important too. I I mean, if nobody, if you think that, and perception's reality, we know that. Yeah. Um, If you think nobody's listening, then you're not going to speak up because why waste the effort?
0: Right. And as soon as you start saying nobody's listening, it's nobody cares. I'm out of here. Right. Mm -hmm. Because why would you want to stay at a place that doesn't value you? And there's, right, you don't. There are plenty of other places that you can be where you can take your talents and thrive and be on mission with that organization.
1: I agree fully. I do.
0: So what is your vision? So your children are small, right? Yes. And, and in 20 years or so, um, or longer, right? Because you have a, a real little one, they'll be in the workforce. And what do you wish for them? What is that vision? 20 years seems like it's so far away, but it'll, it'll be here. So what, what do you want for the future of work?
1: You mean just generally like the future of work? The, so let me, let me answer that by saying this the world of work that I want my children to go into, I want them to find a place. Well, ideally they'd come work for me and inherit my practice one day, but that notwithstanding, um, I want them to find a place where they can be, where they can be coached appropriately and where somebody has identified their skills and identified their weaknesses and they will have them because their dad has them <laughs> and be able to coach around those and put them in a role where they can really be successful and really listen to them. And I would also hope that I would train my children to know that they, they need to show up to work and they need to try their best. I, if I could, Mary, talk specifically to younger people for a second, your younger millennials and younger Gen Zers or Gen Zers. There are so many people out there that are phoning it in that enthusiasm really does put you in the top percentile. It really does. There can be somebody else that's way smarter than you, way better at whatever than you, a better engineer, a better artist, a better, it doesn't matter what it is, but the enthusiasm gap is just profound. And what I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm turning 32 next month as we sit here, so I've even seen people entering the workforce that are 10 years younger than me. The people who just show up to work with a smile on their face, acting like they're excited to be there are light years ahead <laughs> of everybody else. It's it's truly unbelievable. So So do that, come to work, ready to work, ready to learn. Even if you don't like your job, again, talking to those younger people even if you don't like your job today, have your mind on what you want to be doing in five, 10, 30 years, and just know that if you make it through this point, you're going to be closer and to be happy about it in the meantime.
0: I think that's great advice. I mean, you know, they say, don't dress for the job that you have, dress for the job that you want. I think that's the same way with our attitude, right? Uh, nothing is beneath us. And so whatever job you have right now, you may not realize it but you are making contacts and those people who are your bosses are going to be your references. And those people who maybe you're working at McDonald's with, they might be contacts that you have, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, and they might remember your work ethic that, oh my gosh, when you were at work and I worked with you, the line went smoothly or, oh my gosh, that person was a nightmare. They showed up late, disheveled, and they didn't care about the standard of their work.
1: You know, Mary, let me speak to that for just a minute. And I'm certain that I won't obviously use names, but I'm certain this person wouldn't mind me saying this generally. Um, one of my investment clients was my manager when I was in college working at Burger King. Wow. So, you know, these things happen. And, you know, had I not been as happy as I was at the time, I I really doubt that, that would that would be the case. So...
0: I love this idea about enthusiasm, and I would like to add that certainly, of course, what people entering the workforce to really think about how they present themselves for, you know, this idea of getting ahead in their career. But I think also a malaise can set in um, where people have done something for a long time, and so sometimes their attitude slides. And, you know, if you're at a place that you can no longer endorse because, you don't like it or you feel miserable, it's probably a sign to move on if possible. I mean, I know people get stuck, but that's another thing. If you're stuck, change your circumstance and changing your circumstance. It starts with, can start from within. What can I do differently? I think a lot about people who are in toxic work environments and, you know, it's very hard for a fish in a pond and the pond is toxic, you know, to Mm -hmm. thrive because they're in a, but I do think, you know, people aren't fish and there are things that we can do, right? We don't have to die in that pond, even if we feel like, and maybe we are stuck in that pond, for, you know, people are in circumstances. There are things that we individually can do to make our life better. And it's amazing when we decide and we change our attitude and think, okay, I'm going to be different. And what if I said hi to Jane Today, even though she snubs me. And what if I thought, gosh, Jane's got it rough? You know, if that's how she is at work, I'm not going to play that game anymore. You know, so I just think, I mean, attitude, like you said, reality is perception. Perception is reality, both ways, right? (laughs) 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 That we can do so much. And I'm not talking about fake positivism or that's called toxic positivity, you know, where you just slap a smile on. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a good way to go. We ought to be our authentic self, but we might want to think about if our authentic self is miserable, we should think about that and take that seriously and get the mental health help that we need so that we can be happy, healthy individuals wherever we are.
1: Absolutely, and I—I I know Mary. A lot of the people listening to this are going to be employers. If—if mm-hmm. if I could talk to them for just a second, from from the younger person's perspective, I'll tell you, I'm—I'm I'm turning 32 next month. I'm a millennial, and the, per, again, perception being reality, what we speak about amongst ourselves is, we—we we don't feel any tie to a company we're never feeling married to a company and it's not a lot for a millennial to just jump from one company to another and probably get a raise in the meantime I think that it is of paramount importance to be fair to your employees pay them fairly um millennials a lot of them share salary information with each other something that older generations just don't do uh we know exactly how much each other usually makes and if if it's fair we're okay with it and if it's not fair we're not. So treating people with dignity and respect and fairness, it, it, you have to do it. It's, it's not optional.
0: Right. I think gone are the days of you employee, you are lucky to have a job and you will just take it because we have decided to give this to you and you should be thankful rather than I have options and I don't have to be here. And I mean, they say right now that if in order to get the highest um, pay wage, that you need to change jobs every three to five years because every time you change, you're going to get a higher salary. And I think that's terrible that we can't that somebody can't be at a job at um, if they are on board with a mission and it's the work they want. In order to get the same kind of wage benefit, I mean, I don't feel like people should be moving jobs for the wage benefit. Because I wish that organizations were better structured, right? I mean, I, I think employees should do that, you know, if that's what's going to get them that organizations should know this and act to counter it because it costs so much money to lose somebody and to train somebody and institutional knowledge and all the other things that go away when you don't have a workforce. I mean, I think the workforce should have all different kinds, you know, in any organization, you want those people who've been around who know you want people have been around a little bit, and then you want the young enthusiasm of people with new ideas and new experiences. And that is very good for an organization if you could um, really bundle that kind of um, energy and diversity to make the organization better.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: you mentioned uh, that you, uh, you majored in public relations and then you went into I finance.
1: Did. Um, I did. Do
0: you have any advice for picking a college major?
1: Oh, good grief. You know what's funny? I'll give a shout out to Dr. Janine Dunlap at Freed Hardeman University if this happens to end up across her desk. The reason that I have a degree in public relations is because Dr. Janine Dunlap was just the best at advertising <laughs> at Freed Hardiman. I I really didn't, I knew at the time I wanted to be an attorney. I don't know why I thought public relations would help me, but I got a degree in public relations. I would actually tell you, unless you're in something very technical like engineering or pre-med or something, just get a four-year degree and be done with it. My degree does not have any practical application to what I do. <laughs> and I think that that's very common um, and that's fine. I am actually of the opinion that, that college is becoming less and less important these days. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's how I feel about that you know, I really just think pick a pick a major that does have practical knowledge. You know, I know the joke is, well, you don't major in basket weaving. Okay, well, that's not a real thing. But y- you really should major in something where you're going to learn something that is worth knowing. But pick something that you're interested in. And if if your job, if you end up with a job that is different from what you studied in college that really is fine because that's what you're interested in and that's what you want to do and if it's not what you want to do you can change it so that's fine
0: i think that's great advice i mean pick what you're interested in there's only one you and when an organization hires you they're hiring you and if everybody has the same perspective or the same idea the same education that's actually i think harmful for an institution unless it's nursing and engineering right i mean like there are as you said those specific degrees there's all this pressure we put on young people to find the major because when you're 18, you're supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your right. life. Right. And don't
1: stress about it. Like, I'll tell you, I'm a wealth yeah. manager. I, you know, I help small businesses attract and retain employees. I help people do personal financial plans. I do investments. That's all fine and good. You know, on paper, should I have majored in finance? I don't know, maybe. But I'll be really honest with you. We have calculators and computer programs to do all that stuff. What is a lot harder that I feel like I have a a gift of is the ability to talk to strangers. You know, that's a lot more important, really, because I'm the one that has to go get clients. The computer can do all the investing. Maybe I shouldn't say that out loud. I don't know. (laughs) 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 So, you know, I I guess I should kind of roll back what I was saying about a degree in public relations not being applicable because that's not true at all. Right. You know, it it was it was very good. So
0: and I think that's it. I mean. (laughs) I mean, public relations seems perfect for the role that you're in, but so many jobs really are given our personality. And the thing is we can change. My husband majored in classical percussion and now he has a PhD in philosophy. Uh, You know, we change, we grow and, but music has been a part of his life forever. And I think music, actually music and philosophy are very similar because it's a, a way of structuring, a way of thinking. It's very sequential. And that's the thing is all of our experiences are stackable. And while I think that maybe a lot of um, four-year education is obsolete just for getting a particular kind of job, you could go to a trade school. I think a university education is more than that. It's about well-rounding. And we want well-rounded individuals just for their own life so they have good lives and they have more options available to them. But I love that. You know, major in you and and what is resonates with you and then you'll find a whole slew of possible jobs where that information in archaeology or that information in um, whatever it is that you you majored in well it's amazing how it will come full circle for you
1: I love the what you just said experiences are stackable I'm going to remember that I'm going to use I'm going to say that (laughs) (laughs) I love that the way you worded that because it's true it's absolutely true
0: Well, Gary, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great. I've really had a
1: good time too, Mary. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Gary Carter is a certified financial planner with Northwestern Mutual. You can find his LinkedIn profile address and Northwestern Mutual website in the show notes. Conflict Managed is hosted by me, Mary Brown, and produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services. Contact us at 3 Restoration at gmail.com. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.